on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Anne-Marie O'Dwyer, chatting all things the psychiatry of cancer. I want to say that it's very common to be very distressed, to have a very prominent psychological response to cancer, that they are not alone that lots of other people feel in that way and that it's important for them to have information. Information is power, but it has to be the right information. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW drive assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. You're listening to the best of the Indo Daily. Newlywed Michaela McAreevy was murdered in her hotel room in Mauritius on January 10th, 2011. She came with her husband John to honeymoon at this five-star hotel. It was here yesterday afternoon that she was killed. The police say autopsy results indicate she was strangled and that John McAreevy, who found the body, is not a suspect. She had married John McAreevy just 12 days earlier. Michaela was the only daughter of well-known Gaelic football manager Mickey Hart. Uh, we just love her, Michaela. She was such a good girl. And, you know, every father loves the other with their daughter, but I can say that without a shadow of a doubt. She was a gem, and we'd always remember her. And what a day she had on her wedding day. She was just radiant, beautiful girl. And, and we just are so devastated. In 2012, two hotel workers went on trial but were unanimously acquitted of her murder. The Hart and McAreevy families are still searching for justice. That all the belief, this is about Michaela. Michaela had her whole life ahead of her. She had so much life to live, so much love. So what went wrong and why have the Mauritian government now agreed to look at the case again? This week we heard that the Mauritians have agreed to re-examine the case but having spoken to the uh, lead investigator on the original probe he's as adamant now as he was then that they had the right people. I'm Denise Callanan and you're listening to the Current Affairs podcast from independent.ie. Today I'll be speaking to Irish Independent Special Correspondent Catherine Fagan about the case that shocked the nation. She was a 27-year-old teacher from County Tyrone. Catherine, can you tell us a little bit more about Michaela? Well, Michaela Hart was born in Ballygally in County Tyrone. She was the only daughter of former GA boss Mickey Hart. She and her father had quite a unique relationship in terms of the football. They were quite well known in GA circles. She was always at her da- daddy's side at all the games. She was a, a key sort of component of the Tyrone team in those glory days. Mickey and his daughter Michaela were, you know, they were known as the Tyrone duo in those circles. And uh, the two of them actually appeared on the Late Late Show in 2008. You're the only girl in the family. I'm the only girl, yes. And yet you are the most obsessed <laughs> by the football, isn't that well, so? Well, you know, that's true. I'm a big supporter, obviously, of Daddy and of the team. Um, I'm certainly not what you would call a fair weather supporter. 
in that Daddy's been managing Tyrone team since 1991, in fact, and I have not missed a single championship game. So it's quite a good record. I was about seven when he started managing the team, and 17 years on, I'm 24, and I still haven't uh, missed one match. Yeah. And that night on the Late Late Show, Michaela actually kind of referred to a budding relationship with a certain gentleman as well. And what about you, uh, Michaela? Have, have you got a man in your life at the moment? I do. I, I do indeed. Is he interested in football as He's much as you are? He's definitely interested in football. He would, he would have to be now to be any man of mine. Yeah, does he play? <laughs> he does play, but I'm not going to say any more now because I'll get in trouble when I go back. Yeah, he doesn't play for Tyrone then, is Not he? Tyrone, no. Ooh. Went a bit further afield. She had met John McAravey in 2005 through mutual friends. And at the time, Michaela was studying to be a teacher in Belfast and John was also um, training to be an accountant at Queen's University. A relationship started between the two of them um, and they obviously got on quite well together because of their shared love of football. Uh, John himself played for Down at one point. Um, They became engaged in 2008 in Paris and uh, they later purchased a house together, but they didn't move in. They were quite traditional in the fact that they decided to live apart until they were married. So um, plans were made for this this wedding that was to take place in in, uh, Tyrone in December 2010. Um, Michaela did most of the planning for the wedding, as most girls do, and she also planned the honeymoon. She had selected Mauritius as her destination, and she had carefully done her research and picked the Legends Hotel as the hotel they would stay in. So on December 30th, 2010, the couple were married. The wedding took place in Michaela's local church, very close to her home. Her father, Mickey, walked her down the aisle and we've all seen the the pictures of the wedding day. You know, she was gorgeous, a gorgeous bride. Um, And they had their reception in the Sleeve Russell Hotel that evening. Uh, The next day was New Year's Eve, which was Michaela's birthday. And after that, um, they set off on their honeymoon and it was Mickey Hart who drove them to the airport uh, where John and Michaela got on a plane for the first leg of their, their dream honeymoon. So Catherine, they were a few days into their honeymoon. January 10th started like any other. They went down to the breakfast in the resort's main restaurant. They had a few plans for the day. Can you bring us through the timeline of the day, that fateful day when Michaela was killed? Yes, so like you say, it was January 10th and John had booked a golf lesson on the resort. Um, So after after breakfast, they both had breakfast in in the restaurant. Uh, the resort's restaurant, um, uh, John le- left Michaela at the poolside and he went off uh, to take his lesson. Before that, he went back to the room to change and off he went. So he did the lesson. Um, Michaela was at the pool sunbathing and he came back and the couple had, had lunch together. There's a, there's an outdoor restaurant there at the pool. It was known as the Banyan Grill at the time. Uh, they ordered two chicken curries. They they had their they had their lunch. And Michaela, she was quite well known for being a um, a tea drinker, big tea drinker. She was teetotal. She didn't drink alcohol and she didn't smoke. But her friends would have always said that Michaela always liked a cup of tea uh, and a biscuit after her, her meals. Um, and this was something she always did. But she'd taken her own biscuits with her. She had a favourite biscuit and those were Kit Kats. So the couple had kept the Kit Kats in the room and the night before she'd gone back. John had gone back act- actually the previous night to get the biscuit and, and give it to her. Um, so this day... Um, on the tenth at at the at the lunch, um, she said to John, "You know, you order the tea. I'm going to go back to the room and and get my biscuit." And he said in court that he had actually said to her, "Listen, I'll go and get it. You stay here." But she insisted. 
So we stayed at the, the Banyan Grill and the tea was ordered and Michaela went off to the room. She had her key card with her. The couple had both got key cards when, when they checked into the resort. She had inserted her key card at 14.44. Two minutes before at 14.42, another key card had been inserted into the, the, the door. So someone else had entered uh, and Michaela didn't know that. So meanwhile, John's back at at the poolside restaurant. 15 minutes pass and Michaela hasn't reappeared. So he's starting to get worried. He's wondering where she is. So he gets up and he goes over to the room. The room isn't that far away from, from where they're dining. And uh, he has left his card and his shorts from earlier that morning. So he's no key card to get into the room. He knocks the door. She doesn't answer. Knocks again. She doesn't answer. So he goes to the reception and, and explains that he's locked out of his room, that his wife's inside. And could he get a key card? And a bellboy says, I'll take you to the room. I'll let you in. So he accompanies John back to the room, room 10, 25 and the bellboy inserts his key card into the door and turns to walk away, leaving John to walk in. Um, and just as the door opens and the, and the bellboy is walking away, uh, the bellboy hears John McAreevy screaming. As he walks into the room, he sees that his wife Michaela is in the bathtub. The tap is on. There's water overflowing and she's in the bathtub and she's unresponsive, so he, he, he is in a state of panic. He screams for help, the bellboy comes back. John lifts Michaela out of the bath, places her on the floor. She's cold to the touch. He knows straight away something's drastically wrong. He's screaming and shouting for help. Does not know what has happened here. She's unresponsive and there's absolute chaos. Help did come. Um, the hotel manager came and, and um, tried CPR on Michaela, but it was no use and she was pronounced dead at four o'clock that afternoon. And I suppose Catherine Chaos did ensue because John was initially, you know, at this moment, this harrowing moment, and he did describe it in the trial. He's initially taken in as a suspect when police arrive at the scene. Like you said, the local police are called in, in Grand Gobe, where the hotel is situated, and they come to the scene um, and, and they, they straight away launch an inquiry and, and they, they take John um, and they handcuff him and they take him to a local police station for, for questioning. And at that moment, everyone is a suspect, uh, including John McAreevy. And, you know, in, in, in court, he, he describes his initial treatment by the police as, as you know, you know he, was, he was frightened. He, he found it quite uh, alarming that he had been taken away. Um, and he was in that police station for six hours on his own in the, in the aftermath of this horrific, horrific event. Meanwhile, back at the hotel, the major, um, the major crime investigation team have landed, which is a, a bigger elite unit, um, elite police unit from Mauritius. They have landed um, and they have taken over the inquiry from the local police um, and they ask Straight, straight away they want the key card readings uh, from the room to see who had access to the room uh, and once they get those and they see that it was a, a key card a JMK2 I think it was called a hotel key card that, that was used to gain entry two minutes before they immediately rule out John McAreevy and by that stage they've also spoken to you know the people who worked at the Banyan Grill and they know he was there on his own at the time his wife had walked off and he remained there 
for some time. So immediately he's ruled out and the, the, the officers go to Peton's police station where John McAreevy is being held and they order his immediate release. So John is taken back to the hotel. So it was the following day on January 11th when two hotel workers were arrested on suspicion of Michaela's murder. Yes, two hotel workers, Sandeep Munia, who's a uh, room supervisor, and Avinash Tribune, who's um, a room cleaner, were arrested on suspicion of murder, very quickly arrested. The theory that the police put out at the time, having spoken to, to both of them and a number of other hotel workers, was that Avinash Tribune, who had been cleaning Michaela and... Um, John's room in the room in the, in the days previous had noticed a wallet in the room with some notes protruding from it and he had decided that he was going to take some money from this this wallet and that he had told his room um, supervisor Sandy Mooney of this plan and the two of them had decided to get together to to steal. The case came to trial in 2012 and a couple of Michaela's family members as well as a lot of the press from Ireland and Northern Ireland travelled for the trial. One of the men charged with murdering Michaela McAreevy claims he was tortured into confessing. Avanash Tribawoon alleges that police tried to suffocate him with a towel and held his head in a bucket of water while he was interrogated. He confessed to police about his involvement in strangling the daughter of Tyrone Gaelic football boss Mickey Hart while she was on honeymoon in Mauritius, but now insists he was forced to sign the statement. So the crux of the prosecution case was this disputed confession from Avinash Tribuan. And in the confession, um, which he would allege was fabricated by the police, um, the story goes that he was in the room uh, attempting to steal money from the wallet he was, and Sandy Munia was in the room with him. When Michaela walked in, um, she sees him with his hands on the purse and says to him, what are you doing? He panics and she says again, what are you doing? He goes to push past her and brush it up against her. She's not, she's not relenting and she's saying, you know, what are you doing, what are you doing? In the course of this argument, Sandeep Munia steps in and she's screaming in a bid to sort of quell her screams. He gets her in a type of headlock. This leads to the compression of the neck and she passes out and, and dies. They decide to lift her body and, and place it into the bath uh, where they put the tap on and they leave the room. The, the confession uh, which was obtained by the police was disputed by Avinash Tribune and his, his defence team. And w- one of the main issues with the confession which was raised by the defence was that this purse, which was the centre of all of this, uh, it was never tested for fingerprints. There was no uh, swabs taken from it for 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 DNA, and it was wonder one of a number of, of flaw flaws really that were raised by the defence in the case, which really uh, amounted to serious scrutiny of the police investigation. You know, they highlighted the fact that there was a footprint on the sheet uh, in the bed of the room, which had never been tested. And there'd been a number of police officers who hadn't worn protective gear on the crime scene. There was fingerprints that hadn't been taken, exhibits that hadn't been taken from the room. And ultimately, um, when the um, swabs that were taken and sent for analysis, analysis came back, it was found that there was no DNA link uh, um, to either accused to Michaela's body or even in the hotel room. 
And from there, really, you know, the cracks started to show in the police investigation. You know, it also came up that the resort wasn't sealed off when Michaela's body was found. The police didn't interview all the guests. They didn't check who had left prematurely after after the killing. And bit by bit, the defence team seemed to successfully pull apart the prosecution case by centering on the police investigation. And the trial, ultimately, it lasted for about eight weeks. And in the end, the jury found uh, a unanimous not guilty verdict. Which was devastating for the McAreevy and Hart families, Catherine. And in his own words, John attempted to describe the whole experience when he spoke to The Last Word in 2017. And I guess just the way things were played out in court, it was a very unsavoury experience. Um, I was going out along with family members just to to see that justice um, for Michaela was going to be served, but um, it was very, very different from that. You know, the defence team wanted to kind of paint me as a suspect and essentially do what all uh, defence teams do whenever evidence is strong, and that's to uh, you know attack attack process and defer some random stories that 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 will really distract people from the truth. So it wasn't a nice experience, and um, ultimately um, a very unfavourable verdict as well. In 2017, John McAreevy travelled back to Mauritius to the scene of the tragedy. Our other main purpose of returning to the island of Mauritius is to make a direct appeal to the people of Mauritius for information which can lead to this case coming back to court. On that, therefore, we are making this appeal for anyone who thinks that they may have any information which could help the police. No matter how relevant or irrelevant they may think that is, please come forward. And in 2020, Sinn Féin's Michelle O'Neill spoke about how she got in touch with the Mauritian government on behalf of Michaela's family. As the 10th anniversary of Michaela McAreevy's death approaches, myself and Arlene Foster, as joint heads of government, have written to the Prime Minister of Mauritius to request that the government there do all that they can to bring those responsible to justice. Catherine, these are two attempts over the last four years. I mean, have they amounted to anything? Why are we speaking about the the case again now in 2021? Well, there have been a number of attempts to get justice in this case um, since since 2011. And since, since the trial and the acquittals, two or three new inquiries have been launched. Uh, um, we've heard that the Mauritians are, you know, committed to getting justice for the Hart and McAravey families. We've heard stories of imminent arrests. Um, and you heard that clip of the high profile appeal John McAreevy made in 2017, um, during which he pledged a, a large sum of money to get new information. Uh, and John has since remarried. Um, he has his own son now um, and his life has moved it, moved on to a certain extent. But to be fair to him, he, he has um, continued his quest for justice, pushing the authorities um, in Mauritius to try and bring this to some sort of con- conclusion. Unfortunately, nothing has ever really happened with the case. Um, you know, there have been new inquiries, like I said, no no new arrests, no new suspects. Um, and then th- this week we get the news that yet again the, the Mauritians are going to reinvestigate the case. 
but in December um, last year, the DPP said that you know the investigation was closed. So here we are again um, with the hope that something new might come up. And um, only this week, I spoke to Detective Inspector Ranjit Duku, who was the lead investigator on the original probe. Uh, he said he was contacted by the new investigation team last week in relation to this this new effort. Um, he stands by his original investigation. He said that you know there were no mistakes were made, uh, and that the right people were apprehended, um, and simply that. They just didn't get the, the right result from the jury. And I think it's important to know, Catherine, that a new trial cannot come about without fresh evidence. This is this is part of Mercian law. Yes, and uh, Mr. Duku said that in the interview with the Irish Independent, he said that they need new evidence to retry the, the, the previous um, the suspects. Um, and in relation to that, he sort of indicated that forensic evidence Forensic evidence might ca- play uh, a key role in any new probe that 10 years ago, you know, uh, the, the technology might not have been there that this time around, if they retest these samples, if they send them abroad to perhaps labs in the US or further afield, that they may, may get uh, DNA matches to the accused. Now, uh, Avanish Tribuan and Sandy Munya have always maintained their innocence and they were acquitted by a jury. Um, so in relation to a new probe, it'll be interesting to see what exactly they're going to do, who's going to conduct this inquiry um, and, and, and what form it's going to take. You are listening to In Focus, the current affairs podcast from independent.ie, produced by Mary Carroll and sound designed by Dara Kelly. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more on this and other stories, visit independent.ie.